making lemonade. He says in Psalms 119, verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Or Dr. Moffat's translation reads, It is good for me that I have been in trouble. You see, we've got a man writing this passage who's looking at life through the rearview mirror. He's glancing over his shoulder and he's looking at the path of life that he has traveled along. And as he looks at life in his rearview mirror, he realizes that life has not always been easy. He realizes that though he wrote about green pastures and still waters, that life for him has not all been still waters and green pastures. There have been times that life has taken him into deep valleys. And there have been times that life has called upon him to climb rugged mountains. He's not led a sheltered life. At times, the storms have blown in his life as they blew through East Texas last night. Treasures that he had held on to with devotion have been jerked from his grasp. On more than one occasion, his face has been wet with hot and blinding tears. There have been times that life has brought to this man the sourness of lemons. But as he looks back upon those days of stress and strain, he comes to a very important realization. Those dark valleys have not been as disastrous as he thought they were going to be when he passed through them. Looking at his life in 2020 hindsight, he realizes that they have actually brought him no lasting harm whatsoever. And he actually sees that they have brought him good. The troubles that he thought were going to be the unmaking of him have been troubles that actually have brought him good. His losses have become gains. His calamities have been changed into capital. He's taken the sour lemons of life and He's made sweet lemonade out of them. Lemonade as sweet and refreshing as what I used to drink on grandmother's front porch. Now folks, we're separated from this ancient writer in many ways. We're separated from him by seas and by continents and by centuries. And we're separated by different customs and we're separated by different manners of living. But we're like this man in one very important way. We all have our troubles. All of us have been through some trying conflicts. Conflicts through which we have come through wounded. There have been times in our life that the storms have blown and smashed our hopes of happiness. 
We don't travel very far down the path of life till we realize that Job was probably on to something when he said, man is born to trouble. And the sparks fly upward, Job chapter 5 and verse 7. And we understand there's something more in that than just blind pessimism. And so because of that, we're interested in the struggles of this psalmist. We're interested in the trials this psalmist has gone through. You know why? Because he is so much like we are. We're not told the nature of his troubles. His troubles, his trials, the storms of his life may have been something that was plain for everyone to see. It was visible out there for the whole world to know it. Maybe this man's life had been one long battle with pain for years and years. Or maybe he was like Ezekiel. The light of his eyes had been taken away in an instant. Or then again, his sorrow, it may have been something the world was totally unaware of. This man may have been bleeding from some hidden wound that the world could not see. He may have been wearing sackcloth within upon his flesh and the world outside only saw the royal purple of a cheerful countenance. Or maybe, maybe he's weeping in secret over some sordid tragedy of his own or some sordid tragedy of someone dear to him that was all the much harder to bear because he did not share this tragedy not even with his nearest and dearest friend. We don't know. We're not told what his tragedy is, but we're sure of this. His life was not without tragedy. Neither has yours been, nor has mine. But thank God. Thank God in heaven that life has not been all shadows for any of us. And neither has it been all sunshine. All of us at some point have seen our skies suddenly grow dark. And we've seen the storm clouds of life gather. All of us have felt at some point or another the frigid chill of dreams that never quite came true. And even to those that that has not come to yet, the chances are really good that someday it will. We may sail along the sea of life, and for many years it may be as smooth as glass, and then suddenly, and without warning, the storm comes. Admittedly, Life does deal more roughly with some than it does with others. But to everyone, sooner or later, those gray days of bewilderment and trouble and storm are going to come. And the question becomes, how do we handle them? There's an attitude of surrender that we can take. And some folks do this. 
Some folks are ready to surrender and quit and give up the fight at the very first painful wound they get in life. They walk along cheerfully and, as I say of myself, fat, dumb, and happy. Till cruel fate trips them up and they fall flat on their face. And some folks having fallen, instead of getting back up, they lay there and they whine and they moan about their lot in life. And the great tragedy is they spend almost the rest of their life as spiritual invalids. They just feel like life never dealt quite so harshly with anyone else as life has dealt with them. And in their surrender, they add to their own trouble. And they add to the trouble of those around them. Surrender was the blunder made by Miss Havisham. You remember Miss Havisham? She was in Dickens' Great Expectations. She was going to be married. And the invitations had been sent out. And all the guests were assembled waiting for the wedding. The caterer had everything in place for the buffet. The cake was positioned in its proper place. She had said yes to the dress and was all decked out and ready, and the bridegroom never showed up. So her watch and every clock in the house stopped at 20 minutes to nine. Because that was the hour of her humiliation. That was the hour of her first and great, one great sorrow. All sunlight was shut out of the house, and she lived in the dark except for the candles. Her wedding cake stood on the table till cobwebs wrapped around it, and it was a homing place for spiders and mice. And her once white wedding gown hung in yellow decay on her shrunken frame. Because for Miss Havisham, all of life had stopped at the hour of her tragic disappointment. She met her sorrow with an unconditional surrender to trouble. Or think about Judas. And think about what a tragedy the life of Judas was. And what's the climax of that tragedy? The climactic tragedy of the life of Judas is not altogether the fact that he betrayed Jesus. It is not the pangs of hell that got hold upon him and the damning realization of the terrible thing, the terrible crime he was guilty of. <coughs> the great tragedy of Judas' life is that after his deed of treachery, Judas did not make a new start. The betrayal of Jesus was an ugly thing. That's a given. But that was not what wrecked Judas. The thing that wrecked Judas was the fact that he was too cowardly 
to pick up the shattered ruins of his broken life and start over. More deadly than the kiss of treachery he placed upon the cheek of Jesus was his failure to come back to the Master he had so deeply wronged. His failure to come back and ask Jesus for a chance to start over. What was so tragic about Judas was he had spent three years with Jesus and still did not understand the loving heart that would have been willing to forgive him if only he'd come back to him. And sometimes, instead of a surrender, we just allow ourselves to become hard. And cynical. Becoming hard and cynical. That's nothing more than a synonym for surrender. Becoming hard and cynical is the surrender of the strong, and the other is the surrender of the weak. There are those who gather strength by the buffetings that they pass through. But then what is dangerous is that through their grim fightings, they come through with an overdeveloped sense of pugnacity. They come to view all weakness with scorn and contempt rather than sympathy. There are very few losses that are sadder than the loss of sorrow. A sorrow that embitters rather than sweetening and making a person tender and sympathetic. Then there's a third group. And that's the group the psalmist belongs to. These are folks that refuse to Surrender to their sorrows either by becoming cowards or by becoming cynics. These are the folks that make capital out of their calamities. These are the folks that make lemonade out of the lemons of life. The folks that change losses into gain. It's these folks that find life the most worthwhile. It's these folks that are like the song that we sang. They find that life is worth the living because Jesus lives. And the world owes a great debt to these folks, to these type of people. There are some folks that are helpful that have known little of sorrow. But as a general rule, the most helpful folks we'll come across in life are those who've had their own hearts broken. Those who've been to school in Gethsemane. One of the finest arts we can have is being able to make lemonade out of the lemons of life. What knowledge is more to be desired 
than changing pain into palms. Or crosses to crowns. You see, we've got to believe. We've got to believe in the possibility that we can turn the lemons of life into sweet lemonade. You remember when Paul... Paul had a burning desire to go and preach the gospel to Rome. The very center of the world as it was known then. But Paul had been thrown in prison. And he remained there for long and weary months. And it seemed like his dreams were going to come to nothing. And yet we find Paul writing a letter. And where is he writing it? He's writing it from a prison cell in the city of Rome. And in the beginning of that letter to the church at Philippi, he says, I want you to understand, brethren, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He says that is the things that seem were, that were going to absolutely thwart my efforts have made it possible for me to realize my hope. Because you see, in Acts 27, on Paul's way to Rome, there's been a terrible storm at sea. And that storm has raged until all hope of reaching land has been lost and destroyed. But the storm didn't bring Paul to an untimely grave at sea. It gave Paul a place of confidence in the hearts of his fellow travelers. We know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh that three times he asked God to take away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you to deal with it. Paul was constantly finding his losses changed again. And after a long period of experimentation in the laboratory of life, Paul wrote in Romans 8 and verse 28, And we know. What do you know, Paul? We know that all things work together for them that love the Lord. To them that are the called according to His purpose. Now we must realize every sorrow that comes to us in life is not necessarily in accordance with the will of God. Often there are things we suffer that are contradictory to God's will. And when we realize this, we often ask in desperation, Why, God? Why God doesn't prevent those things? Beloved God in His consistency cannot prevent them. God has left us free. And since God has left us free, if we have a mind to do wrong and go against God's will, God cannot prevent that. My, how often we don't realize that. And how often we don't recognize that. God sometimes gets blamed for wrongs. Wrongs against which He burns with far greater indignation than we ourselves do. You remember when Joseph of old found his life in ruins? The favorite son had been 
sold into slavery by his brothers. It would have been so easy for him to become bitter and turn away from God. He was thrown into prison. But it was Joseph's salvation that he was wise enough to see that God was not to blame for the wrongs he had suffered at the hands of men. How unjust it would have been for him to rail against God for what those hostile to God had done to him. It may be that we've suffered wrong. It may be we've suffered wrong at the hands of some member of the church. But we can't blame God for wrongs that wound God far worse than they wound us. What we have to remember is that while God cannot prevent much of the evil that we suffer, if we stay true to God, God's going to bring us through with honor. And more than that, God's going to make us richer for our losses. If we stay true to God, God is going to turn our lemons into lemonade. That was the experience of the psalmist. And that's been the experience of countless others. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Nothing can ultimately defeat us except our own rebellion to the will of God. What a master we have. And what a gospel we preach. There's nothing that can wreck us so long as we live within the circle of the will of God. When the storms of life beat in our face, when disease preys on our bodies, when ghastly death is wrenching our treasure from clenching fingers, we can be undismayed. Because you and I as God's children can shout with Paul, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are the called according to His purpose. If we hold on to God, in spite of difficulties, in spite of trials, in spite of storms and deep valleys, we can say with this psalmist, it is good for me to have been in trouble. But don't lose sight of that second part of Paul's statement in Romans 8. To them that are called according to His purpose. That is, to those that are living God's kind of life in God's way. Are you doing that this morning? Are you living for Jesus Christ as a Christian? Or are there changes that need to be made in your life? If you need to make changes, take those steps right now while you have time, while you have opportunity as we stand and while we sing.